You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season five, episode one, Moving Through Space with abstract artist, Natalie Shaw. Before we get into today's episode, I wanna share something with you I'm really excited about. For the past year and a half, I've been working on a short book called Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. If you're an artist or a creative, and you've been wrestling with fears or comparison to others or perfectionism, this book will take you through some of my own experiences with these things and share some of the ways that I've found my own creative freedom. And I'd love to give this book to you free. All you have to do is go to creativitykillers.net and you can download your free copy today. And I'll also put a link in the show notes of this episode to creativitykillers.net. So welcome to 2019, friends. I'm excited for this new season on Makers and Mystics. I don't think we consider air as a space that we move through because we're in it all the time. Maybe like fish and water, but it really is. It's a space. And when we walk or when we make a gesture, it's carving something out in that space. Natalie Shaw is a Chicago native who holds a studio fine art degree and is a graduate of Yale University, Virginia Commonwealth University, and Shasta College. In 2016, she was selected for the Barbara Jane Carr Scholarship for Excellence in the Visual Arts. Natalie has recently joined the artistic community in Austin, Texas, and has been selected for the Open 30 juried exhibit at the Martha Finstermaker Gallery. Natalie's work is informed by a sense of air and space and how we as humans move through it. She describes it as a push and pull, an up and then letting go, a play with gravity. I had the opportunity to talk with Natalie about her work as a contemporary abstract artist and dive into what motivates her creative explorations. This was one of my most engaging conversations of recent times and so I'm excited to share it with you today. For the patrons of the podcast and members of the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective, you can enjoy additional segments of this interview at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. This is Moving Through Space, my conversation with abstract artist, Natalie Shaw. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. I'm excited to have you on the show, and I absolutely love the work that you're creating. I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor. I've definitely heard of you, and I was like, it's Stephen Roach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Well, why don't you tell us some about yourself? Uh, Where are you from, and, and how did you get started in art? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm a Chicago native and I had always wanted to do art since I was little, but it was more of like a traditional Asian home and really fun and loving. But art and creativity wasn't really encouraged. It was more like I would be so happy if you're a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> um, and my dad has since come around, which is great. And he's and he's so supportive. But just when you're little, you know, you kind of are influenced by your environment. And so that wasn't something I ever really considered. And it wasn't, quote, practical, all the things we hear as creatives. But after I did everything in life, I got degree and this degree and blah, 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 and were, worked in agencies and did everything you're quote, supposed to do, I was really miserable. And so I was like, I know that I know that I know that I want to take art classes. 
it's totally logical. It has no purpose in terms of career and what you're supposed to do. And it doesn't make sense. But I know that I know that I know. And so I was like, there's nothing to lose. I'm not getting a degree. There's nothing at stake here. I can just quote, take class. So I did that. And it was my, I felt like a new part of me began to breathe. Life started coming in a way that I never knew about. I feel like I understood myself way more. I met other artists and the professors who poured their life into me. I was like, I feel so at home and I make sense here. And it was definitely, um, you know, there were moments of overcoming fear in the beginning and, and whatnot because there were so many years of desire attached to it, but God more than helped me. And it's been so, so rewarding. So tell me what motivates your work. I know you say in your biography that your work reflects an interest in how we as humans move through space. How did you first begin exploring that theme? Hmm, that's a great question. I don't know that I did it on purpose. I think I discovered it after the fact. Mm-hmm. The work is very, very intuitive And when I try to do it otherwise, um, it really backfires. And so I think that because of my background, all the art we create, I think, is a reflection of all of our past experiences, Mm. whether we like it or not. And it's a good thing, Mm -hmm. but I think because that was such an integral part of my past experience, it just came out the second I came to the canvas and the surface, it came out like that. I just moved over it and I knew, I couldn't tell you why, but I knew what I liked and what I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And if I made a mark, it would feel contained to me if it didn't have movement. I felt suffocated in a way. Mm-hmm. It was almost like I identified with it as a living being. And I was like, I need to, it can't breathe. Or it just, I would get upset as if it were me. Because in some ways it is. Mm-hmm. The best art really is a self-portrait, right? It's an expression of what's in us. And I'm like, I can't move. Like, I need space. I can't. Oh, and it would bother me. And so that was really my map. And I wasn't sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to sit down. And some artists do who are more conceptual. This is the idea. Conceptual art is about this is the main idea and the art 100% serves the idea. And really the aesthetics of it almost take a very far backseat. Mm-hmm. I am not that at all. <laughs> there are ones who do that, and which is very, which I respect for sure. But that is not how I approach it. And so I just did what came out and followed my intuition and afterwards realized, wow, that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. I think you said as well that you prefer to work with larger surfaces. Yeah. Does that tie into the movement and the space? Like you just. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For sure. I feel like I'm claustrophobic otherwise. I think um, most you're supposed to, quote unquote, start small and then go big. I actually um, did the opposite on accident (laughs) because I just didn't know any better, but I don't regret it. And it just feels more like home. Like I'll say that sometimes when I do work a little bit smaller, smaller maybe means like two to three or three to four feet. And then I move back to a larger surface, like five five by six or four by six feet, I'm like, oh, I can breathe. It's like home again. Like there's movement. And it makes sense because if my movement is more um, informed by dance, you use your whole body and dance. Nobody dances like this with their wrists and their hands right? in place sitting on a couch. You stand up, you're in a huge uh, studio and you're filling up the space even beyond the limitations of your body when you move and dance. You, like you make one gesture and and you want to extend beyond your fingertips. You know, your movement goes beyond you. It's always beyond your physical stature. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I feel that when I come to the canvas. I'm like, it's not just this mark from this point to this point. 
that the existence of that mark actually implies a movement that reverberates beyond what you can see from right to left. Mm-hmm. Well, even when I look at your work, I can recognize movement. And it makes me wonder how choreography may influence your work as a visual artist. For sure. That's a great question. It's a driving concept, I think, the idea of movement and how we as humans move through space. I don't think we consider air as a space that we move through because we're in it all the time, mm-hmm. maybe like fish and water, but it really is. It's a space. And when we walk or when we make a gesture, it's carving something out in that space. And so when I approach the canvas, you know, when you are a dancer, it's so, and you know, this is a musician, you train and train and train and train. So your body remembers it. it's muscle memory or it's emotional memory. It's all these other memories. And so when I approach a surface that really informs the mark, and what comes out. And my friend Ray Hughes, he says that dance is like sculpting the air. Be- yes, thank you. <laughs> Every time he says something, you're like, what? It's mind blown. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. I'd love to know, do you interpret color emotionally? Because as an abstract artist, color is such a focal point of the work. I'd like to know, how do you determine what colors you want to use? I think that to your point in abstract art, you have so few things to use to say what you want to say. There's the removal of anything recognizable or what we say figurative art is something where you recognize an object that's familiar but because you remove that and that by itself carries so much emotional association because through our life you see things and they represent things in ABCDFG you are stripped down to formal elements like color and shape and composition and texture etc so when you have so few things to work with they become that much more important like all your choices in those things become amplified in their importance and what they say or what they don't say. So to answer your question, color is probably one of the number one things in terms of importance. Not always, but for the most part, I won't start to work until I have the colors and I'll do studies and studies and studies just around color. I've sat, this is not all the time, but I did sit once, I think for eight hours straight, like didn't get up and mixed colors, just colors. And I was like, I'm gonna learn this because when it's not right, it's not right. And I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I know it when I see it. And I don't, I personally, and I know there are some artists who do it well, I personally don't respond in the same way to very bright neon colors all over in the same way that I do to what someone once said, um, more soulful colors maybe, or deeper colors that are not necessarily just darker, but um, they feel more nuanced in their pigment because they're either, you see them less often in everyday life. Um, there's not really a, a rule like they're all this way or they're all darker or they're all whatever. I think it just feels more nuanced and it feels like there's a deeper well for someone to enter into when they see them versus something that's more straightforward, like a red, yellow, green, or blue. Even if you mix some of those, I feel like the experience that you create for people through those kind of colors isn't quite the same. Tell me about 
your piece titled Stay? I, for some reason, thought you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, one of my, yeah. Yeah, well, let me just say this. I absolutely love this one. And, and there's something about it. There's something about the color and there's something about the movement and, and just what's happening on the canvas that makes me want to understand more of what you're expressing. And, mm, and, and so I'd love to know what your process is behind it. And, and also I'll put this one on our Instagram and on the website as well so people can see what we're talking about. Sure, sure, yeah, that's great. Um, that is that is very, that's one that's real close to my heart. Um, I really, I don't feel like every single one of my works that I nail the color 10 for 10, but for stay, it really worked for me. It felt really spot on. <laughs> um, I don't remember how I came to the colors. I just knew that they were right. Like I said, um, the interaction between them, how they related to each other, um, felt like they were greater than the sum of their parts. And that was interesting to me and what I strive for most of the time. Yeah. In terms of the name and what it means, um, this is pretty consistent for most of the works, but once they're created or they come out, like I like to say, I like to spend time with it. And actually naming them is quite difficult sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can take a month or longer because I'm really trying to find the essence of what's been created and what's there and to capture that in a phrase or a word or something that communicates that. Yeah. So for when I looked at this one, I was like, oh gosh, I just feel this longing, but it's in, but it's in a beautiful way. It's not in a with anything that lacks hope, but I just feel like it's just stay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just came to me. And this is kind of a funny story. At um, one of the shows, my friend walked up to it and was like, you know, and didn't know anything about it or the name or anything. And goes, you know, this feels like one of those really good breakup songs. <laughs> like one of the, <laughs> like one of the really good ones where you're just like, oh, it's, it's aches so good, you know? <laughs> and I was like, like stifling my, my laughter. And I was like, mm. I'm like, did you see the title? And then he walked over and he's like, what? <laughs> so I thought that was very, very fun. But, um, but it's crazy how like people can feel that, like they they felt the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or people who don't know anything about dance or whatever will see that as a continual theme. They'll say that or flight, theme, themes of flying and flight. And Yeah, I've had a similar experience with music because a lot of the music that I play is instrumental. And, yeah. and sometimes when I travel, I'll do these workshops where I'll play instrumentally and I'll get the students to interpret what they hear or what they yeah. feel, you know, from what I'm playing. And it always amazes me how the majority of the, the students in the class will see or feel or ex experience similar things. And it, wow. sound, it sounds like some of that happens with your art as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I don't know if you ascribe to this, but like um, there's a line of thought that sometimes visual artists rather than they felt like they just created this thing, they feel like the first audience, you know, or you feel like yeah, the, interesting. the first viewer of this work yeah. that kind of emerged. And uh, yeah. and just with your, I, I love the patience that you take with naming your pieces. Mm. Um, it's almost like you get this opportunity to 
explore or to experience what it is that actually came out. Yeah. I, I love that intuitive idea, just letting the art become what it wants to be. Yes. I believe there's Michelangelo who said something, I'm going to botch it, but something about like, I set the angel free in the statue. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I don't know how the quote goes, but I've... Right. I've... <laughs> <laughs> get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know because I, and and you'll hear this all throughout so many of the podcast episodes that I do, I love, I'm an advocate for the spiritual nature of abstract art because I, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like historically we haven't always understood that, but at least from my experience, we're in a place now where we are starting to see more and more abstract art that has a real deep root of spirituality to it. And mm. so I'm just curious how those two worlds intersect for you. For sure. That's a great question. I love what you said about how we haven't really explored the spiritual nature of abstract art. I don't know that I've really heard much of it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad that you identify it. Um, sometimes, I think I heard this actually on one of your, I don't know if it's a podcast or something, but you were like, it, art doesn't have to have a spiritual subject for it right. to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just because you're not writing a song that's quote a worship song with words in it that say Jesus or church or whatever, <laughs> if like if it's instrumental, it doesn't make it less spiritual for goodness sake at that's all. Right. That's right. But um, I think it comes more from what happens in the creation of the art that you're doing like what's happening whether whether what you actually create is is a painting or a song or a piece of fashion or a photo like what is the spirit behind it what's happening almost i see like like when god hovered before he created Mm-hmm. Right there, there was a hovering, there was a stirring. I think that's when the real creation begins. I think that the merging of that, of what happens in that time, is responsible for everything that's created that we end up seeing. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, because my life is intertwined with his, and I, and it's inextricable, right? He's in us and we're in him, and there's no end or beginning to where he starts or we end, then everything that comes out of that place is spiritual whether it's art, music, or a conversation with someone at Trader Joe's. Like it's spiritual by nature because we are spirits and he's in us. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So I don't advertise my work as Christian art because it's not. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if that's a term that was formed to identify things that have Christian subjects in them. But I don't think of mine as that. Mine is just art is art. It just is or it's not, honestly. And I don't, in my brain, I just don't have other subsections or subcategories. I know they exist and it's valid and there's purpose to them. There really is. I just, when it comes to me and my work, it's just art. It's just music. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of all art, I think, is to create an experience of beauty. And so if it does that, then I'm in. And that's it. I mean... I just don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. I, I even hesitated to ask, you know, what does this piece mean? Because I know when people ask me that about my poetry, I kind of roll my eyes because I, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, you tell me what it means. Like, exactly. Like, what did you feel 
when you encountered this poem? What did you feel when you encountered this work of art? That's yeah. that's what it means, you yeah. know? And so I absolutely identify with what you're saying. And I think it was Madeline Engel who said, bad art is bad theology. <laughs> yeah, that or it's not from heaven, it's from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And honestly, when I look at your work, your work does speak for itself. And that place of contemplation and that place of hovering and that place of just abiding in the spirit comes through what you're doing. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned overcoming fear as it related to creating art. I'd love to know some of your own journey about how you pushed past your own inhibitions to get to a place to create as freely as you do. Yeah, that's a great thing. I mean, what creative doesn't laugh when you say fear, right? <laughs> it's like, wow, that's real. But the great thing is um, it has nothing to do with us. Fear is not a part of who we are and it has nothing to do with what we create. It's not a part of God and has nothing to do with us. And so even though we may feel it sometimes, it's a matter of just taking small steps, I think, and and realizing, you know what, I'm not going to pretend it's not there because, you know, it might always be there. Maybe stronger in some days than not, but it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with me. And I'm going to take small steps, whether it's just getting my pain out, whether even though I don't feel like it or even though I don't know where I'm going to go or I don't know what's, quote, it's going to be good or not. But kind of like we were saying earlier, too, you're free from performance of producing something that's good when you do it out of pleasure. Mm -hmm. When you're like, I so enjoy this, not because I create something great all the time, because that's really unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard artist talks, um, this one American artist, Mark Perlman, he's an abstract painter as well. He's an encaustic painter, side note, if you want to see his work. But he was saying, um, he's like, you know what? He's like, you just have to know that you're going to make loads, I mean, piles of crap, piles. I mean, you're just going to go through it. And this is, you know, someone who has work in private collections and at Disney and with Will and Jada, or Pink, Will Smith and all that. Like, I was like, I feel so validated right now. <laughs> like, I feel so known. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot because we ooh and we ah over the ones that do turn out. Mm -hmm. And they're in galleries and they're in shows and whatnot. But guess what? Behind every one of those, there's piles and piles and piles. And I don't honestly know, and maybe it does get better. I think maybe the nature of it changes, but I'm not honestly expecting for it to change that much. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the, but my my job is not to worry about it and just to accept that's part of the process. And if one painting or one work or whatever, if all it does is get me closer to the next one, then it is worth it. I love what you said when you said that you work out of a sense of pleasure rather than a sense of performance. Mm. And, and I think that one of the kind of atypical struggles that we always hear talked about for artists is that we create work to gain a sense of acceptance, mm. but when you create from a sense of being accepted or when you create from a sense of pleasure, mm. then it does help remove all those inhibitions. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not relevant anymore. Yeah. 
You're like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you happen to like it, that's re- like, I'm really glad. But if you don't, it wasn't for you. That's I'm true. sorry. But it really wasn't. Like, no offense. But, like, you had nothing to do. And I was not thinking of you when I was sitting there making work. Yeah. And in, before one of my shows, someone asked me, and it was, it was like a big space, and it, w- it was really fun. But my friend was like, are you nervous? And, I, and I'm like, honestly, I was like, I don't know, maybe I should be, but I'm really not. Yeah. Because if they don't like it, it wasn't for them anyway. <laughs> and if it is, I mean, I think something's wrong, yeah. r- really. Like, if, we're, if art is about authenticity and about the specific message and sound or whatever it is that God has put inside you, then I pray that it is never about anybody else. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I pray that for you. <laughs> Come on. That's awesome. I think that freedom and that tenacity to work from that place is something that we need you know, Mm -hmm. in greater and greater measures, just the tenacity and the freedom to express authentically what's in your heart and, and to let the social life of your work happen as it may. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I love that phrase. Yeah. I mean, we all, I mean, this is not, I mean, mean, this is not what you're saying, but this is not to discount that, you know, it's that something special happens when the, when the work does interact with an audience, of course. Right. It's not like, okay, well, I'm just going to go in a closet. But the authenticity part is just so important to protect. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I know that as a performing artist, that there is a relationship between the performer and the audience mm-hmm. that's yeah. part of the art. And I totally get that. But I think in order to have a genuine relationship with the audience, you first have to have that freedom to work apart from their approval. Yes. Yeah. So well put. So. I think that's what creates. I think like you said, that making the authenticity the goal, the first goal, magically produces the fruit of the experience with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me some of your inspirations. Who who are some of the artists that you've drawn influence from and who's kind of informed the work that you do? For sure. I would say by far, without hesitation, Cy Twombly is not, was, he's passed away now, but was an American artist. I hesitate to say abstract. It was abstract, but it was quite different from the movement that was kind of rising up in America at the time, although he worked in the U.S. and in Rome a lot. But um, it was abstract in the sense that there was no figurative subject in it. But um, he just... At the time, he was so, quote, different that people didn't value it. (laughs) I mean, we know that, right, with people who are forerunners of it are so different. And he would just, quote, make these scribbles. They were just scribbles and loops and looked very, um, they were very childlike. But, I mean, you see them in person, and it's so different. This is a side note. When you see work, especially artwork, um, on on a digital screen, you know, that's what, one by whatever feet. I mean, his works would, you know, be entire ceilings wide and span a whole wall of a gallery. And you, the first time I saw one in the SF MoMA, I lost my breath. Like, they're they're arresting. They're, quote, just scribbles, but why can I not breathe right now? Like, what is happening? I just, he was so out of the box and so intrigued by drawing. His paintings have a lot of drawing integrated in them, and I don't think he was the very, very first one, but the way that he found a new way to do them, and they're arresting. They, my my other professor said that, she's like, when you see his work, you instantly lift off. 
you like instantly suspend into the air. And I was like, wow. I just, I lose my words and I, my English, like when I see his work and some, and it's not for everyone, which it shouldn't be, right? Then there's a problem. <laughs> um, but it's categorical, some of it. And he has all different series. He worked for quite a long time where there'll be patches of different things. And then there'll be other ones where it's just the same sort of mark or gesture on the surface. Like, and it looks like, generally speaking across from edge to edge, top to bottom, right to left, it's all kind of the same uh, shape or whatever you want to call it and other ones that are really different but by far he's taught me the most I've seen his work and but I've never yeah, yeah but only only online I've not seen it in person I don't I don't think I realized how huge it was oh huge gigantic wow that's and amazing. sometimes people see and they're like I don't get it or like it's nonsensical his stuff is just all over the place they're just lines and marks and I'm like crying right now. <laughs> 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 not really but it feels like he's created a world yeah. for you yeah um in all his different series and granted we all have some that we like more than others but but i think it's the aggression of it and the the lack of apology like when he puts down a mark he means it and he doesn't care who's looking or who's not he's doing it and it's just it feels like it just hits the bullseye mm -hmm. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. And uh, like I said, I really love your work and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Music for this episode is provided by our friends in Firefighter. You can find links to Firefighter and to Natalie Shaw's work in the show notes of this episode. Also, Tickets to the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, taking place in Winston-Salem, March 22nd through 24th, are on sale at thebreathintheclay.com. We hope to see you in March, and we'll see you again next week.